We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God our Creator, not our government. I believe that Scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. And as we are continuing to follow everything that is going on in Israel, and we are also looking ahead to the holiday season and everything that goes on uh, during Christmas, we want to focus on promoting truth and teaching the truth of the gospel of Christ in everything that we do. Because even though we talk about the top trending stories and news of the day and the headlines and focus primarily on this show on politics, which as uh, my guest for this hour defines it as truth in community. And I think that's a beautiful definition and a correct definition of politics. We can't just myopically focus so much on the political divisiveness and policy. We have to kind of pull back and say, how do we contextualize that within our frame of government that is founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview? And how do we view our interactions in civil society and also our nation on a world stage when we're talking about Israel in, uh, in terms of a biblical perspective. And so my guest today is none other than Pastor Gina Geraci, who um, has been my personal pastor for many, many years, um, I think over a decade now. And he is the pastor uh, formerly of Calvary Chapel, South Denver, now pastors uh, Grace Bible Church of Longmont. And he is also the host of Crosswalk on Salem Talk Radio and was a law enforcement chaplain and, of course, is a very dear friend. So, um, Pastor Gino, thanks so much for joining me this hour, and um, I have to fit in all of your wonderful uh, credentials, which is most of all, though, that you are a lover of truth and uh, the gospel of Christ. <laughs> and so I want to start there because, um, you know, love of Israel is just so amazing. And you were actually in Israel the day that the war broke out. So um, talk about that in your experience and in context of everything going on. Yeah, I've had the great privilege, and thank you, Jenna. Thanks for having me on. I've had the great privilege of of going to Israel, well, more than 15 times. And this last time, um, on October 7th, uh, we found ourselves at the airport in Amman, Jordan, and I was leading a tour of my pals at gotquestions.org. And I know you're a little bit familiar with gotquestions.org. It's one of the the largest, if not the largest, Bible answer ministry online in the world. And um, so, of course, we love Israel and uh, its history. And so, you know, we think about a lot of things. You know, there's a reason why we're going there, because we want to do and and talk about uh, what's Israel's... um, you know, what's Israel's role in history, in the present, and in the future? 
And so, you know, th- th- there's a lot we-, we could unpack, but we can focus on anything you'd like. One, one of the things, uh, obviously, that's in-, in the news right now is should people support the nation of Israel? And you'll remember one of the things that didn't get recorded at the congressional hearing was each of uh, the presidents of Harvard, Penn State, and uh, MIT were asked the question, does Israel have the right to exist? And each one of them unqualified, in an unqualified fashion said, yes, they do have the right to exist. But that is an interesting statement in and of itself. It, it exists as a political unit, but it seems to also exist, at least in my view, as, as a part of a prophetic future. So, again, you know, there's the, the, the amazing passage of Scripture that comes to my mind in Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, in verse 6, where it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, he, his treasured possession. I remember having a conversation with my friend uh, Dennis Prager who's also a, a Salem talk show host. And and I, I reminded him that in Deuteronomy, it says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. So the whole point being, you know, obviously Israel's called the chosen people, but what I try to remind people is that chosen for what? chosen to be caretakers of the revelation of God, chosen uh, to, to reveal the message of God to the world, and then chosen to bring forth the Messiah. Mm, and and that's such a beautiful promise, and I think it is a is a better view of putting this current conflict in not only historical but also future context. And um, one of the uh, the sermon series that um, that I went through when when you were teaching at um, at our church in Colorado is um, the end times and and um, the end of all things and the prophecies and the things that are foretold that have yet to come and so as Christians and and we do support the nation of Israel for all of the reasons um, that you're describing Pastor Gino Duracy but also we are looking at this um, in a in a temporary context as well in terms of how should the nation and the sovereignty of the United States as a government participate in this current conflict. And there are a lot of different responses to that. And even among some of the conservatives in Congress suggesting that before we fund Israel, we should secure our own borders uh, or we should uh, fund Israel because we funded Ukraine or, you know, all of these different political Uh, policy viewpoints, how would you recommend that Christians view that question of the United States participation? Yeah, what what an interesting question, and I think uh, there's a couple of ways of thinking about it. Let's just set aside just for a moment that um, I didn't have a high view of of Israel's past and, and present and future from a prophetic standpoint. Let's just talk about it from a political standpoint. And, and the way that I would, I would say to my friends who are approaching it from a political standpoint is who shares our values in the Middle East? Why is it that we are an ally of Israel? So we're back to that initial question that I talked about, it's right to exist. 
its right to exist as a, as a people group, um, a place of sovereignty and safety for Jewish people. And so my view would be, again, um, do, do the Jewish people have a right to have a sovereign state of their own? Um, where Jews can live in peace and security and safety. And so I would say just from a political standpoint, again, historically, why did we support them in the beginning? Why do we support them now? It's because we share a common value about what it means to be human, about how we're going to function as a political state, um, whether or not we're going to honor the rule of law, and custom and tradition and and religious freedom something that you've written a great deal about so imagine we're in these two categories of freedom and control are we going to control and manipulate the nation state of israel or are we going to find a way for them to go forward with security um, and act in their best interest. That doesn't mean that we're not compassionate or, or have no feelings, if you will, towards other people groups and circumstances in the area. But we do have to ask ourselves that question. What is, an, is it in our best interest to, to uh, preserve people who share our um, ideological outlook? And I think that's a great way to frame it, particularly because not everyone is going to come from a biblical view of Israel. Just like uh, not everyone who is a conservative or who is pro-capitalism is necessarily a Christian, but there are good arguments as to why that particular economic system that promotes human flourishing, that promotes uh, the the work and the labor and you, you reap rewards instead of communism is actually better uh, in terms of that type of policy for a nation. And so we can make arguments because a uh, truth and general revelation um, is going that we're going to have good arguments whether or not you believe in the designer and the creator that implemented those best systems uh, and in our general revelation. And so as we look um, and ask and answer that question of is it good for America to um, to help protect those people who share our values, I think that's a question we can ask about Ukraine as well. And there has not really been a great answer um, as to why Congress continues to fund Ukraine j- that heavily, especially when Vladimir Zelensky is is talking about potentially just canceling their elections in March because it's not a good time. I mean, that flagrantly violates uh, the principles of, of democracy that America is founded upon. You know, there's an interesting historical um, correlation You'll remember, well, maybe you won't remember personally or, you know, in your in your brain, but in 1962, um, a little before my time, the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the, the Soviet Union stationed uh, nuclear uh, missiles in Cuba, which is right next door to us. And it was not just uncomfortable. It was unacceptable. It was unacceptable to have. Uh, a, a Russian nuclear presence that close to, to to the mainland. And you'll remember that whether or not you agree or disagree um, with Vladimir Putin or whether he's telling the truth or not telling the truth, 
part of his argument was I don't want a nation I don't want a NATO country butted up against me with nuclear capability and so you'll remember there was a nuclear um, agreement made that that Ukraine would give up its nuclear capacity and that it it would that the European Union would would provide some measure of security for Ukraine. So part of the challenge that we have is, is if it's good for the goose, is it good for the gander? In other words, do we have a foreign policy, a coherent foreign policy that is um, coherent? And again, you've pointed out on a number of different occasions in a number of different medias that this current administration does not have a coherent foreign uh, foreign policy in, in Eastern Europe or anywhere for that matter. <laughs> but, so part of the, that challenge, too, is how do we um, pray and persuade people um, to have a coherent policy that, again, leads to peace and flourishing? Mm, and a coherency in our worldview, whether that is manifest in foreign policy, national policy, in uh, politics in general, in our theology. Yeah, you know, any of these things. Coherency is so often the key. Uh, And I'm speaking with Gino Geraci, who's the pastor of uh, of a Grace Bible Church of Longmont, Colorado, and also um, the host of Crosswalk on Salem. And, you know, often I see, um, especially in young people and some of um, the students when I was a professor at Colorado Christian University, that the coherency and, uh, and, and internal consistency of their view on various subject matter uh, was simply not there. And and to have that right. cohesive worldview really comes back fundamentally to understanding what the Bible teaches about these things. And and Speaker Mike Johnson, um, I, I thought it was hilarious, actually, that the left was so outraged and it's like their heads were, were exploding live on television when he said, if you want to know my view on anything, just open the Bible. And and they're going, yeah, well, what does the Bible say about you know, any of these current topics? That's just an antiquated old book. And I'm thinking you're missing the whole right. point. And, and that's exactly what you do on radio every day is talk about. That. Right. And I think, and, and I think part of the challenge that we have, even in that situation where we call a dog whistle, a dog whistle, because what they do is they say, oh, if you embrace a biblical worldview, then you must be supporting Christian nationalism. And so right. what we have to do is we have to define our terms and we have to say, no, um, you know, you've written a whole book on the Constitution. No, we're a constitutional republic. Well, we're not here to establish a theocracy. We don't think a theocracy is appropriate for our circumstances. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is, is there a basis in law that will provide for us a mechanism to uh, to, to, to function as a society, back to, and to truth in community? <laughs> yes, and we'll have to take a break here. We'll be right back with more with Gino Geraci here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Finally, some good news. Because of you, Preborn has rescued over 44,000 babies this year alone. Right now, thousands of mothers are awaiting birth of their precious babies, and thousands upon thousands of babies are taking their first breath. Since its beginnings, Preborn's Networks of Clinics has rescued over 270,000 babies. That is a miracle. 
The overturning of Roe versus Wade only made the left more ravenous for the blood of the innocent. So now we need to be more passionate to save babies. Thanks to Preborn, we can do just that. For $28, you can empower a mother to choose life. Once she sees the precious life growing inside of her and hears her baby's heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. And right now, through your match, your gift is doubled. Please give your most generous gift that will go 100% toward life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And on this wonderful, beautiful morning, I have Gino Geraci, who is the pastor of of Grace Bible Church of Longmont, Colorado, and who hosts Crosswalk on Salem Radio, um, who is my guest. And uh, before the break, Pastor Gino, we were talking about consistency and the fundamental truthful worldview, which is the lens by which we Mm -hmm. understand the reality to which God has presented us. And that coherency in political philosophy, in Uh, really any discipline, but particularly theology as well, the knowledge and the study of Mm -hmm. God is so important. And as we are um, in the midst of this Christmas season, I also wanted to, to to ask you the questions because you answer the hard and the difficult questions about the Bible and the historical Jesus on your radio show every day. And there are difficult questions when we... Uh, approach the holiday season because there are so many different myths about the person of Jesus, about uh, the the incarnation, about the birth of our Savior, and then moving forward, why that is so important to get those things right as we forecast what we would later um, celebrate on Easter, which is, of course, um, his death and resurrection and the propitiation for our salvation. And that Uh, And that whole entire understanding of who the person of Jesus is. And so when we're talking about um, about Christmas specifically and the celebration of the birth of Christ, uh, what are some of the most common myths surrounding the birth of Jesus that are that we need to as Christians to make sure we understand the truth? Yeah, there's several different. Um, myths, if you want to use that term. But the, the biggest myth of all, and and the least defensible, is that he never existed at all. <clears throat> and there are people who will basically say, look, um, can you tell me about Jesus, but, but don't use the Bible as a source of information. Well, what I do is I, I would say, no, that's an inappropriate way. That That's assuming that, that the Bible itself ha- doesn't provide a powerful, evidential, historical um, communication concerning the, the birth of Jesus. So the, the New Testament obviously contains hundreds of references to Jesus Christ, but also the way that I would put it is I would say, but just for purposes of discussion— I would say there are numerous sources from outside of the Bible that point to the reality of a Jesus. And I I like to use the historical example of uh, Socrates and Plato. I I, I would say, do you believe that Socrates existed? 
most people will say yes. And I'll say why. There's no historical evidence other than Plato's writings. Why, why would you appeal to Plato's writings as an evidential source for the existence of Socrates, but you won't use the Bible and the writers of the Bible as an evidential source of Jesus? But the first century Roman um, writer Tacitus, who's considered one of the most accurate historians of the ancient world, mentioned a group of people. He called them uh, – he mentioned superstitious uh, Christians from Christus, which is the Latin for Christ. But the very fact that he mentions them means that they exist, who suffered under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius, or Suetonius, who was the chief secretary of the emperor Hadrian. He wrote about a man named Christus, or Christ. Flavius Josephus, of course, a famous Jewish historian, historian in his antiquities, refers to James, the brother of Jesus, who's called Christ. And there's a, there's a contested uh, passage, but that passage is not contested. Julius Africanus quotes the historian Thales in the discussion of darkness that uh, around the crucifixion of Jesus. Pliny the Younger recorded early Christian practices in the first century. The Babylonian Talmud, which is a, a Jewish source, confirms Jesus's crucifixion on the eve of the Passover. Um, I'm thinking of Lucian of Samoseta, who was a second century Greek, who admits that Jesus is worshipped by Christians, and the list goes on and on. So there's very few people uh, who have any reputable um, historical credentials who dismiss the historical Jesus. But the other thing that, so once people are willing to accept the historical Jesus, that they go, well, but what, who is he really? Um, is he a guy like uh, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, or like any other human being? Is he just a human being who is completely misunderstood or... Um, you know, was he who he claims to be? And so, um, you know, there's all kinds of, of, of wrongheaded thinking. Like, there's a new one called Caesar's Messiah Conspiracy Theory, which basically suggests that he was the fabrication of the Roman Empire. Um, but, again, what, what we have to, to um, ask is, well, what are the claims that he makes, and how does he support those claims? And uh, very interestingly, if God were to become a man, don't you think he would be born under unusual circumstances? Don't you think he would say the most incredible things that have ever been said? Would he have a reputation for doing miracles? Would he have the power of, of, of life over death, and would he come back to life? These are all claims that the New Testament makes. Mm. And you know, as you're speaking, um, Pastor Gino Geraci, my guest this morning, who's the pastor of uh, Grace Bible Church of Longmont and host of uh, Crosswalk on the Salem uh, radio network, a lot of people, I mean, th this would be the same thing as saying, you know, do the, the, find the solution of two plus two, but don't use math. I mean, it, it's literally trying right. on purpose to say you can't use the commonly accepted evidence and the the understanding and the proof that is actually there for the existence of Jesus. And so even if people then say, okay, well, we, we agree that he was some kind of historical figure, 
but um, right. but like non-Messianic Jews that would say, well, he was just a prophet or some of these other traditions, like we know that he wasn't born on December 25th, so that breaks down your entire thesis. How do we respond about who the person of Jesus is from a biblical and historical perspective? Well, I love, love, love what C.S. Lewis said so long ago. But to your point, I'm, I'm going to, I want to address that issue of the December 25th just really quick. And that is, imagine God in his grace and his mercy has allowed an important person into your family, but you adopted that person. This person is adopted, and you don't know his his or her actual birth date. Um, would you deny that they're a human being or a person? And would you be willing, let's just for purposes of discussion, to set aside a day to celebrate their existence in your family? So obviously the most important thing isn't that he may or may not have been born on December 25th, but that he was born. And then again, um, C.S. Lewis famously said in his book, Mere Christianity, um, about the dilemma that people have in identifying Jesus as a, as a good guy or this guy or that guy. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really stupid or foolish thing that people say about Jesus. Um, he says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis, remember, famously said, that's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon— or you can fall on your feet and call him Lord and God, but don't let us not come up with this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He didn't leave that option open to us. He never intended to. You know what that quote reminds me of? Again, the, the congressional hearing with the three presidents of of Penn, Harvard, and mm-hmm. MIT. When when uh, when addressed with the issue, is it a good idea or a bad? Is it a good idea to kill Jews? As you know, this isn't this isn't a hardball question. Right. It's, the answer is either yes or no. And so again, you make a statement, and then you follow the logical train that it's going to take. So the the big question to your point: Who did Jesus claim to be? He claimed to be God in the flesh. I and the Father are one. Um, They tried to stone him for blasphemy in John chapter 10. In John chapter 8, remember he tells the religious leaders, unless you believe I am who I say I am, you will perish in your sins. So yeah, there's no doubt that Jesus himself makes incredible claims about himself. But as you are very much aware, an assertion isn't evidence, is it? Just saying you're something— doesn't make it so. But Jesus, according to the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, dies a criminal's death, and then he amazingly comes back to life. Mm. That is truly remarkable. It is, and and it proves that he is who he said he is. And one of the 
uh, other ob- objections to the divinity of Christ is um, some of the 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 I would just say the heretical theologians, but um, some of the people who object and say, well, Jesus never actually intended for anyone to worship him. He never asked for that. He always pointed to the father. And so uh, Jesus was, we we were never intended to worship him. How do you answer that objection? Well, the way I would answer the the objection is he receives worship. Um, So again, throughout the New Testament, people come and they worship him. He heals a blind man. He heals a leper. And they return and they heal him uh, and, and, and worship him. And so, yeah, Jesus did claim to be God, and he did receive worship, and he received all of the honor um, that goes with with uh, a supreme being in John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. And again, at first glance, some might say, "Well, he, he's not claiming to be God." But it's the reaction to the statement that tells us they tried to stone him for blasphemy because you, being a mere man, claim to be God. What's interesting to me, again, about all of that is that this would have been a perfect time uh, for Jesus to say. You've misunderstood me. You've got it all wrong. But he never correct, corrects the Jews or attempts to clarify the statement. And um, in, in John um, eight fifty eight, he actually claims preexistence before Abraham was born. I am. And that statement brought the religious leaders um, stones to stone him. And in, in claiming his preexistence, Jesus applies a name for God to himself, I am. And again, the Jews rejected Jesus' identity as God incarnate, but they understood exactly what he was saying. And so, again, he claims to be able to forgive sin. He claims uh, to be preexistent. He claims to be the righteous judge. And of course, you'll remember in the Old Testament, not Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so a, a better question, I think, in part would be, well, if he isn't God, then who is he? Who is he? We're back to the C.S. Lewis quote. Right. And and I'm speaking with Pastor Gino Geraci, who is the pastor of Grace Bible Church of Longmont and host of Crosswalk on the Salem uh, Talk Radio Network. And these are the questions, and that really is the most fundamental question for everyone to ask and answer, who do you say that Jesus is. And that was, in fact, the the question that Jesus asked of his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And when they respond... He doesn't. He doesn't correct them and say, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a, a good prophet. I'm just, you know, the, the wisdom of fortune cookies. You know, he didn't say any of those things. Um, he, he says, I am that I am, and this is so important for Christians to recognize that there are so many ways that the truth of who the person of Jesus is 
is twisted or perverted, which is, you know, taking the truth and twisting it a little bit by saying, well, either, you know, Christ was not um, fully divine. He was just a created uh, being sometime after uh, the creation of the universe, then Jesus was created in order to fulfill uh, the propitiation for our sin, um, which is not truthful, or that he put off his divinity completely and was only human when he came. And why are these questions, in just the last minute we have, so maybe we can forecast into the next segment, <laughs> why are these questions important and essential to theology? Well, again, they're, they're important because they're the ultimate questions and answers that determine a person's relationship with God. Back to your original question about worship, and, and the reason why I brought up the issue of the identity of Jesus, if you ask a person, is it right to worship God? Most people will say yes. So if Jesus is God, is it right to worship him? <laughs> Right. And so, again, we're talking about the, the logic of reason, um, but coupled then with the information that's provided for us with revelation. Mm. And we'll take a you break know, there. I'm speaking with uh, Gino Geraci, who is <laughs> uh, my guest for this hour. And we'll be right back with more to talk about the historical Jesus and the person of truth. We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say Freedom. CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24 7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I am speaking this hour to my very dear friend, Pastor Gina Geraci, who's the pastor of Grace Bible Church of Longmont, Colorado, and also host on Salem Radio about the truth of the historical Jesus, who the person of Jesus is, and how we can know that and how we can proclaim joyfully and triumphantly. As I was talking about earlier this week, I love the Christmas carols, especially, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We have joy in the triumph of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Pastor Gino, the, the, the question that we were contemplating before the break uh, was about the person of Jesus and 
is he God? How can we know that? And there are many then who say, okay, fine, you know, Jesus was a historical figure, but he's not the Messiah. Um, there are some some Jews that that still disclaim him as the Messiah. And there are people who would say, yeah, but he's he's not God. We, we don't even know, you know, if there is a God, we'll never know who he is. And how can we as Christians proclaim with knowledge, not just passion. We can have all the passion in the world, but if we don't have the knowledge of truth, then we can't explain and describe it and bring others into a saving knowledge of Christ. So how can we confirm to a lost and dying culture that yes, Jesus is the Messiah as was foretold in scripture? Yeah. And, and I guess the, 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 the reason, you know, when people say to us, you know, give me chapter and verse where it says, Jesus is God. Uh, and the way that I would answer that question is there's no verse that says Jesus is God, except for maybe Romans chapter 9, verse 6, where the subject is Jesus, the verb is is, and the object is God. But the way, even though those precise words are never said in that precise order, the, the way that I would answer that is, is Jesus God? Well, he claims to be God in John ch- chapter 10, verse 30. Is Jesus God? Well, his followers declared him to be God. I had a caller one time on a program, Steve, from oh, uh, Ca- for either Castle Rock or, or you know somewhere in Douglas County, and says Steve says, Jesus is not God. And I said, well, John says he's God, and uh, Peter says he's God, and James says he's God, and God says he's God, but Steve from Castle Rock says he's not God. Thomas says he's God in John twenty twenty eight. He says, my Lord and my God. Paul says he's God. The, uh, the writer of Hebrews says the, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. So Jesus claims to be God. His followers claimed that he was God. And um, and, and then the, the conclusion that I think that I would come to is if you look in the book of Revelation, an angel instructs the apostle John not only to worship God in Revelation chapter 19, Several times in the Scripture, Jesus receives uh, worship in Matthew chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 14, in Luke chapter 24. The, the list goes on and on, and as, as that's happening, he never rebukes the people for worshiping him. And if Jesus were not God, he would have told the people, time out, time out. Um, this is not something that should be done. So, he he. He claims to be God. His followers claim that he's God. And so the most important reason I think that Jesus must be God is that if he's not God, his death wouldn't have been sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. A created being, which Jesus would be if he isn't God, can't pay the infinite penalty required for sin. And so there is a personal component um, and again, people who are asking or maybe struggling with this question are wondering, do I need a Savior? Do I need someone who can be my Savior? And so only God could take the sin of the world, according to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Die, be resurrected. So again, is he God? Yes. 
his followers believed it. And so the provision of salvation is the very heart of the gospel. Mm, it is. And, and, and as you were speaking, Pastor Tino, I was thinking, okay, if we know we need a Savior, and, I, and that's, that's a very basic assumption, I think, if we look at the evil and the sin in the world, and if everyone is genuinely honest with themselves, instead of just saying, well, I'm a good person, I can merit my way into heaven— well, on what metric are you possibly saying that you're good? Who defines good? Is it just you in in your human existence that you say, well, you know, comparatively with the murderer down the street, I'm, I'm a little better than that. If we're all honest with ourselves, we know our sinful nature. We know that we have sinned, that we all have done evil, perverse things that we need <clears throat> repentance and salvation for. And if not Jesus then who possibly could the Savior be? Yeah, and all of this connects in our conversation, Jenna. Remember, according to the Bible, human beings are made in the image of God. There was a horrible fall, and there was a necessity of redemption. And now we're back to the, the, the issue of Israel. Why is God going to use Israel as a means and a mechanism to bring forth the Messiah. Well, there's going to be prophecy and people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, promises are going to be made and promises are going to be kept. And so God had a plan from the very beginning. And the so the fall of human beings is going to be followed by a plan to redeem and reconcile those human beings. And so that's that again, we're back to the the heart and the soul of the gospel. And and speaking of C.S. Lewis again, I love how he describes in Mere Christianity, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, that you know I, I'm I like him am not a Christian just because I believe in God like we would believe in a fairy tale or Santa Claus. You know, here during during the holidays, that okay, there's books written about him, but we know that it's designed to be a a myth. I mean, there was a a person, um, you know, a, the Norwegian. Um, you know, St. Nicholas, but in terms of our actual, you know, Santa coming down the chimney on, uh, on Christmas Eve, you know, that, it, that is a fun, uh, holiday myth. And so I am not a Christian just because I believe in a fairy tale or have a belief. I am a Christian because the Bible and the theology and the knowledge of who God is, is the best explanation for the reality to which I am presented. Because we all have to contemplate, why is there evil in the world? Why are there uh, things that uh, that I have to deal with? What What is the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil? How should civil society function in our uh, truth in community definition? Um, all of these questions can't be answered from merely a subjective viewpoint. Um, otherwise, there is no measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil. It's just the majority vote at any given time. And we know, we know, we know from the truth of reality that there is a measurable difference. We know that there are things that are inherently evil and morally wrong. That has to come from somewhere outside man. And that source of truth and of good has to be the person of God. And so then we simply have to identify him. And so as we are we are speaking about 
the person of God and recognizing who our Savior is. Um, there is also a, um, a a myth and a a fallacy and a, and a heresy um, that would say that that Jesus was simply um, just a man, but was created by God for the purpose of being. Uh, of, of dying and resurrecting for our sins. And that is inconsistent, of course, with the truth of the Bible. But why can that not be uh, be true according to the Bible? In term, Because the Bible doesn't ever mention the word Trinity, for example. Um, and so a lot of these people would suggest, well, you have you know God the Father, but he created his son at a later time period to then be uh, the Savior for all mankind. Yeah, there, there's an interesting argument that I like that um, that says that God is immutable, and that the Father has always been the Father. Now, this is an interesting way of thinking about it. The Father has never not been the Father, and in order to be the, a Father, you have to have a Son. And so in order for the Father to be eternally the Father, there has to be an eternal Son. And so the Father has always been the Father. You'll remember even in the New Testament, um, we're instructed to pray to the Father. And so back to the, the, the Trinitarian um, idea, if you will, and that is that Jesus is the self-existent second person of the Trinity who takes on a new nature, a human nature, He's one person with two natures, and that makes him unique. Earlier, you had talked about, you know, myths surrounding um, this. You know, we'll back from the, the Trinity thing. And, you know, there's the claim that, that the New Testament and Jesus are just simply based on pagan folklore or myths from from Egyptian uh, gods and goddesses, or or the Middle Eastern Mithras. And, you know, it's the story of Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, where he says nothing in Christianity is original. But, uh, again, the way that I would put it is that's simply not true. Um, the Bible has foretold a being who's going to come. This being is the subject of prophecy and then of destiny. And there's this unfolding narrative that takes place. And this is what makes Christianity so exciting and Jesus so exciting. Um, so, yeah, for people who are really interested in these kinds of questions, Jenna, as you know, at uh, our website at Got Questions, Your Questions, Biblical Answers, we have literally thousands of these questions and mm -hmm. biblical answers and then responsible references for people who want to know more. And that is so exciting. And this is one of the best things about speaking about theology and the knowledge of God is that we do have the answers. This isn't a, a religion that just says, well, you have to believe and you can't question anything. You just have to go along with what we tell you and you know, don't question anything. We want questions because the Bible and the truth of God has the answers. And 
Um, so in just the last few minutes I have with you, Pastor Gino, and I so appreciate your time. And, and you can listen uh, to Gino every Sunday morning um, if you go to gracebiblelongmont.org. Uh, that <laughs> website will show you the live stream, and you can hear Pastor Gino's teaching almost every Sunday morning. Um, what uh-huh. is one question I haven't asked you that you think is important for all of our listeners to have the answer to in this holiday season about who the person of Jesus is? Well, um, I think in an indirect way, you have asked me the question about who he is, but what I would do is connect the dots. And the dots are, is he the kind of a savior who can save me? Is he the kind of being who can wash me and cleanse me of my sin? Is he a person who can make promises and keep promises? And um, I think we have every reason to believe that that's true. Mm. And so, you know, my friend Lee Strobel um, has written a new book um, about the case for the reality of God, but he's written also um, a book called The Case for the Real Jesus, which deals with some of these subjects. And again, can I know him? Can I trust him? And I would just invite people to, to to help them understand that yes, they can. That the that the Jesus of the New Testament is the Jesus that they can trust. That he can believe them, as Franklin Graham would say. He would say, "Just trust him, believe him, confess your sin, receive Christ." I often think if I could just talk like Franklin or Billy Graham, maybe more people would believe me. <laughs> yeah, well, you you speak wonderfully. And again, you can hear Pastor Gino every Sunday morning at gracebiblelongmont.org. And what a wonderful promise. Um, and it's, it is so true, because as we look at the headlines and the politicians who inevitably disappoint us, when we look at what's going on in Congress, when we look at what's going on in you know, the judicial branch and the weaponization of government and all of these other things that we could talk about that are discouraging, for this holiday season and moving forward into a new year. I hope that we have joy triumphant because God can save. He is in the business of changing hearts and minds. And that is our business as Christians, first and foremost. Yes, be engaged in our civil society, in our families, in our churches, but for what purpose? So that we can enter into a saving knowledge of Christ and that we can share that good news with a lost and dying world. So Pastor Gino, thank you so much. And we are already out of time for Jenna Ellis in the morning. And you can always reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com/afr and sponsor an ultrasound? 
Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.